Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're continuing our series through this uh, great Old Testament book. And our theme verse is 1 Samuel 13 verse 14. After King Saul failed to obey the Lord, the Lord rejected him as king. And Samuel the prophet said to Saul, God has sought out a man after his own heart. That's what God desires, people after his own heart. And of course, he's talking about David, who would be king after Saul. But what we're learning through this series is that every single one of us who know Christ, by the power of grace and the presence and work of the Spirit, we can also become people after God's own heart. Now, through this series, we're looking at God's heart. We're looking at various elements of God's heart. It's like a multifaceted jewel. And no matter how you show it in the light, a different element of God's infinite heart is revealed. And as we get to know God's heart and get to love God's heart, we gain a heart after God's heart. And that's how he transforms us. So this morning, the focus is going to be Seeking after God's own heart through generosity. You can't look at God's nature in Scripture and not see that He is the infinitely generous God. Think about the most well-known verse in the entire Bible. Probably John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave And what did he give? He gave his only son. Can you think of any greater extravagant gift that the father could give than his own son? And then Jesus, who was God, become man. And as the man, the son of God, he reveals what we were always meant to be. Not God's, of course, but his humanity reveals what it means to have a heart after God. His humanity reveals what perfect humanity lives like and looks like. And in 2 Corinthians 9, what do we read about Jesus? Remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty, might be made rich. You you see sort of a domino effect among the persons of the Trinity. God the Father generously gives his Son. The Son then generously gives his own life. And then the Spirit comes and generously pours out into our hearts the love of God that constantly transforms us. You've heard of the domino effect. You've probably set up dominoes. You, you set them up uh, close to each other, but not too close. And you can make a design. You can make various figures. I mean, these things get extravagant, right? I mean, there are some domino sets that take several days to set up. And they take many minutes to fall down. And it's very intricate and beautiful. And sometimes there's designs. We see the domino effect 
when it comes to the Trinity with respect to generosity in the heart of God. And then as we get to know the heart of God and gain the heart of God, we continue the domino effect by through our generosity seeing the grace of God spread throughout the nations. Now, when it comes to the domino effect in life, we need to recognize that there are different kinds of domino effects. There are positive domino effects, chain reactions, and there are negative domino effects, chain reactions. For instance, in 1 Samuel 7, we see a positive domino effect. And of course, 1, Corinthians 7, 1 Samuel 7 comes before 1 Samuel 8. So the context of 1 Samuel 8 is 1 Samuel 7. And in 1 Samuel 7, Samuel leads the people of God, the Old Testament church, to revival. He leads them to repentance, to fresh faith in God and His grace, and new obedience. The domino is pushed, and all the dominoes in a chain reaction move toward renewal. In 1 Samuel 8, however, we see a negative chain reaction. Now, one of the frustrating elements, probably the most frustrating element of setting up dominoes is you spend all this time setting it up and you push that first one that topples into the next one and it starts making that little buzzing sound as it goes and suddenly it fails. Either, either one of the dominoes was set too far away or it fell wrong, it was just off on an angle, and the whole chain stops. When it comes to 1 Samuel 8, we learn that Samuel's getting old. And in order to plan for his transition, he has his two sons, Joel and Abijah, take over and lead the Old Testament church. And the problem is the way they chose to live is a fail in the domino effect of renewal and revival. But it doesn't stop there. Not only do the dominoes of revival stop, but their choices are so off that the domino doesn't hit the one that would lead to revival, but it's another one. And as a result, the whole domino chain effect is destroyed. Now, what I want you to notice and look for as we read the text together is what was the cause of the domino fail. It's very clear. It's stated absolutely with clarity in the text. What was the fail of the domino chain? What caused it in Joel and Abijah's life? what stopped renewal and revival, and what began the negative chain reaction that actually led to Israel rejecting God as their king. You won't be able to miss it. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's word. Listen well and discover. 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 9. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. 
The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Did you catch it? Did you catch the one thing the sons of Samuel did that stopped the domino effect of revival and renewal and created a reverse chain reaction that led to the church rejecting God as their king? This is God's word. He gave it to us because He loves us. He wants us to gain a heart after Him. And one of those elements of that heart that creates a domino chain reaction of grace to the nations is a heart for generosity. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for Your Word. We pray now that we'd be attentive. We pray that Your Spirit would work in us, encourage us in the gospel, and transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So what stopped renewal? What led to the rejection of God as king? Well, the text couldn't be more clear. The domino effect was that Joel and Abijah turned aside after gain, after personal prosperity, after materialism. That domino being pushed over led to them wanting to take bribes. The next domino then that fell was injustice because bribes blind you to justice. And that then, injustice, led to the elders of Israel correctly being concerned. And that led to the wrong choice, but the domino effect of the church rejecting God as king. What is our legacy going to be? Are we going to be like Samuel, who by grace was faithful, or Samuel's sons, who created a domino effect and a legacy of faithlessness. Three ways that we can learn to leave a legacy of generosity. First of all, seek a heart of generosity through a legacy of faithfulness. Again, verse 1, when Samuel became old, 
he made his sons judges over Israel. Now, remember, Samuel was faithful personally to God. Samuel was also faithful as a leader over the Old Testament church. But look at verse 3. His sons did not walk in his ways. In verse 5, the elders say the same thing. You are old, yet your sons do not walk in your ways. They interrupted the domino chain reaction of renewal. And we're told very clearly what it was that interrupted revival and renewal and caused a negative chain reaction that culminated in the rejection of God as their king. Verse 3, the sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. And what's really sad is Samuel and his wife had such high hopes for their children. They named them to give them a legacy of faithfulness. The name Joel, in verse 2, the name of the firstborn was Joel, the name of second, Abijah. The name Joel means Yahweh is God. The name Abijah means Yahweh is Father. Samuel had given his sons everything they needed for a legacy of faithfulness. Joel forgot his legacy that Yahweh is God. In, in 1 Samuel 7, we have Samuel raising the stone, Ebenezer. We sing that in the hymn, Here now raise mine Ebenezer, and you wonder what in the world is an Ebenezer. An Ebenezer is a memory stone. Samuel set it up and said, this is a symbol, this is a reminder that God has helped you. God has been with you to this point, and he will continue to be. See, one of the reasons why sometimes we turn after gain is we're afraid of the future. We're looking for security. We're after significance. And rather than trusting that God is the one who helps, that God is the one who's given an Ebenezer, I've been with you. It says in Hebrews 13, 5, let your lives be free from the love of money. Why? Because I will never, ever leave you. I will never, ever forsake you. Joel forgot his legacy of his name, that Yahweh is God, and he will never forsake us. How about you? As you look at your finances, do they reveal trying to gain security personally? Or do they reveal trying to see the kingdom of God expand? Do they reveal fear on your part? Do they reveal a scarcity mentality that there's just not going to be enough? Or do they reveal a faith mentality that I can be faithful in generosity like God has been generous toward me? And then Abijah. Abijah forgot his legacy. Abijah means Yahweh is Father. He will always provide. I mean, how many times does Jesus talk about the generosity of God as Father. Look at the birds. They don't work. They don't worry. But God provides for them 
And then Jesus says tenderly, oh, you of little faith, are you not worth much more than the birds? God will take care of us. You see, the hope of being faithful in generosity is right here in the text. If we would just live consistently under the reminders that Yahweh is God, He will always provide the Ebenezer. He will always be our help. We have nothing to fear. There's no reason for a scarcity mentality. There's no reason to hold back. Yahweh is Father. He cares for you. He will provide for you. So the question that is begged here when we talk about a legacy of faithfulness is how do we know? How do we know for being faithful in the area of generosity? Well, I need to tell you that the Bible couldn't be more clear. I mean, this, this is really not even a debatable question, although I've never seen a question that more people like to debate. When it comes to faithfulness in generosity, the biblical measure that is so clear is called the tithe. Now, you may think, well, what's the tithe? Isn't this another word for offering? Well, actually, it's not. The word tithe actually means tenth. And God says faithfulness and generosity begins with the tithe. It begins with bringing 10% of what God provides to us back to Him through His church for the work of the kingdom. Now, we need to remember... Since Yahweh is God, Joel, everything is God's. Everything we have isn't ours. So we are managers of God's stuff. We are managers of God's resources. And I don't know about you, but it's so easy for me to forget that. I mean, I put in the hours, I work hard. And so it's such a short jump for my flesh to say, this is mine. And I'll generously give God 10% of, of what is mine because I love God. No. Faithfulness is recognizing it's all God's. I'm actually called to love God with 100% of how I use my finances. But God does set the clarity of faithfulness at the tithe. He always has. From Genesis all the way through the New Testament. You, you can try to argue this, but it's really not arguable. In Genesis 14, Abraham fights a battle, and he gets all the spoils of war. And then there's this weird dude. His name is Melchizedek. And in Hebrews 7, the author to the Hebrews actually uses Melchizedek as a type or a symbol of Christ, pointing forward to Jesus, because there's no record of his lineage. He has no mother or father. He appears on the scene. He's the king of Salem, which will be Jerusalem. He has so many parallels with Jesus. And it's the first time in the Bible where we read that Abraham paid a tenth. He gave Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe of all the spoils of war. 
And in Hebrews 7, the author to Hebrews basically says that Abraham paid a tithe to Jesus. Then throughout the, is the uh, law of Moses that God gave to the Old Testament church, Israel, it talks about the people of God bringing their tithes to the sanctuary. And then in Malachi 3, the prophet Malachi rebukes the people of God for rob, from robbing God. And they say, well, how have we robbed God? And Malachi says, because you have failed to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, into the sanctuary. And then we get to the New Testament. We already went there with Hebrews. But then Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, you tithe your mint and your cumin and your dill, your good tithers, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law like mercy and justice. And then you know what Jesus says next? You should have practiced the former. In other words, you were right to tithe on your mint and cumin and dill. But you also should connect it to mercy and justice. The clear measure of faithfulness when it comes to generosity is the tithe. And the question is this. Are you sons of Samuel in managing your generosity, or are you sons of Abraham? Now, the good news is your past doesn't determine your future. First of all, your past doesn't determine God's view of you. If you know Christ, let's say you've not been a tither. God still loves you in Christ. But the good news is the negative domino train of the chain reaction leading to the same kind of chain reaction disaster that Joel and Abijah brought about, that can be stopped by God's grace. And Jesus can start a new domino chain reaction in our lives so that we begin to see God's heart become our heart as we take delight in seeing the gospel move forward. Trust that Yahweh is God and trust that Yahweh is Father. He will not fail you. Trust Him as you pray about what God would have you give through Oak Mountain. And be ready next week to turn in your intention. Number two, seek a heart of generosity, not just through a legacy of faithfulness, but through a legacy of watchfulness. That verse 3 where it says they turned aside to gain, it actually highlights all the vocabulary in 1 Samuel 8, these first nine verses. And what we learn in 1 Samuel 8, these first nine verses, is that God is picturing the Christian life for us as a journey, as a pilgrimage. These are all directional terms, directional vocabulary. So turning aside in verse 3 means wandering off the path. It, it, it means leaving the sidewalk and heading off into the wilderness. 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 9 emphasizes a long walk in the right direction, guided by the Word and Spirit 
of God. And our responsibility is to practice watchfulness, to keep our eyes on the path and to walk the path. Why? Not because God is trying to kill our joy, but because God, who loves us, knows what the path of joy and fulfillment looks like. You realize God's call to holiness is the call to your highest happiness? Do you realize that? The world is trying to tell us constantly that they've got the formula for happiness. They've, they've got it figured out of what the good life is. When God for millennia has told us his path is what leads to fulfillment. His path is what leads to security. His path is what leads to significance. And Joel and Abijah turned aside. They left the sidewalk. They left the path. And it created a domino chain disaster. Turning aside after gain led to taking bribes, led to injustice, led to anger in the church, led to Israel rejecting God as king. They weren't watchful. The word turn aside is also a word that is, that is used of hearts that turn away from God's heart. So, so Joel and Abijah did actually the very opposite of what our series is about. Our series is all about us seeking after a heart after God. And we're told in verse 3 that Joel and Abijah specifically turned their hearts away from God and toward gain. In other words, when Jesus says, you cannot serve, you cannot love both God and money, Joel and Abijah made their choice. And many Americans have made their choice as well. You cannot serve both God and money. And we need to be watchful because Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of, we see the domino chain reaction in this text. All kinds of evil spring out of a love for money. And when it says they turned after gain, it means they made money the driving motive of their lives. And don't we know so many Americans who have done that? And we live in that culture. So we are constantly bombarded with that message. And we need to be watchful against drinking in the poison. You know that word gain? You know where it comes from? The, the, the picture is cloth that is being woven from cotton or some other fabric material uh, that is being woven on a loom. And that word gain has to do with the activity of, of sneakily and surreptitiously and dishonestly approaching somebody else's loom and cutting off a corner. The word gain in the Hebrew here is where we get the term rip-off. You ever, you ever been ripped off by somebody? You know what it feels like. Turning after gain is going after profit, money, wealth, possessions in a dishonorable way. And in Malachi 3, he says to the Old Testament church, failing to tithe in order to think you're saving money 
is actually ripping off God. It's actually trusting in your own abilities to secure your own future rather than being watchful over your heart that God Himself is your hope. Are you being watchful to stay on the path of God's way to security? Seek a heart of generosity through a legacy of watchfulness. And then thirdly and finally, seek a heart of generosity through a legacy of mindfulness. We need to seek faithfulness, we need to seek watchfulness, and we need to seek mindfulness. I hope you've realized that 1 Samuel 8 is one of the most significant chapters in the entire Old Testament. 1 Samuel 8 is where the Old Testament church decides they want to be like all the other nations. Everything was going great with God as their king. And there were prophets and leaders and elders who sought God's face. God was the leader. God was looked to as the protector. God was looked to as the provider. And in 1 Samuel 8, that all changes because of two men named Joel and Abijah who turned aside after gain. And then they turned to bribes. And then it led to injustice. And then it led to people being concerned rightly about injustice. And then it led to the whole church rejecting God as king and saying, we want to be like all the other nations. You see, Joel and Abijah were not mindful over the consequences of their actions. And how often are we not mindful of the consequences of our actions? Do you know how many people I've had in my office and they say, Bob, we're convinced we're supposed to tithe. The Bible is pretty clear. We can't. I said, okay, let's pursue that. Why? Well, we've got so much debt. Why? Well, we were looking for significance and stuff, and now we're overextended. See, we make decisions with respect to finances sometimes because we're not mindful that choices have consequences. You throw a pebble into a pond, it creates ripples. You jump into a pool, it creates a splash with waves. All of our choices have consequences. And Joel and Abijah are like little kids who can only see what's in front of them and don't think about the consequences of their actions. And how often are we just like that? God is calling us to be mindful when it comes to our use of His resources. Think about how else this has happened. Who remembers Adam and Eve? Do you think Adam and Eve had any idea of the consequences of their choice? I mean, think about it. One choice plunged the entire universe into sin, chaos, and death. See, it's so easy for us to minimize the consequences of our actions, the outcomes of our choices. And God calls us, especially when it comes to a heart of generosity, to be mindful 
of the negative chain reaction domino effect of what happens because of the love of money. Again, 1 Timothy 6, it says, because of the love of money, many people have pierced themselves, stabbed themselves through with all kinds of grief and pain. Now, I want to get back, though, to being mindful of a positive impact chain reaction. Adam and Eve, through one choice, plunged the entire universe into sin, chaos, and death. But the good news is that Jesus, through his choices, stopped the chain reaction of the falling dominoes that created a horrendous picture of death as the dominoes fell. Jesus stopped the domino train. But not only did he stop sin and chaos and death, he started a new train. And Jesus, when he was toppled over on the cross and rose from the dead, set into motion a new chain reaction of grace. And that chain reaction is continually transforming lives, and it can change us in this area of our lives as well. You see, if we repent, turn to Christ in fresh faith, and step out in new obedience, we will see the Spirit of the living God fall fresh on us. Wrong choices can create disaster. Right choices can set into motion a chain reaction that changes the world. It started with Jesus. But we could go through all the scriptures and we can find examples of positive chain reactions, the domino effect of generosity. I mean, I just wrote down a few when I was preparing the sermon. The widow's penny. We've all been affected by the widow's penny. Zacchaeus gets converted. Right now, I give away half of all that I own. I'm going to pay everybody back double what I took from them. Barnabas, who sold a piece of land. The Macedonian Christians in 2 Corinthians that Paul refers to. You see, not every domino effect is disaster. Sometimes it's beautiful. Let me close with these words from 2 Corinthians 9. Listen to this now. As you pray, as you consider generosity, listen to the encouragement, the inspiration, the exhilaration, I might even say, of these verses. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 8 through 11. You ready? This, this ought to knock your socks off. It does me. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he, God, has distributed freely, extravagantly, ridiculously. That's what he's done to us through grace in Christ. 
He has given to the poor. He's given to us, Jesus. Remember, he that was rich became poor so that you, us poor people, by Christ's poverty, his choice to be generous, that we might be made rich. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The righteousness he's talking about is the righteousness of generosity. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, not might supply, will supply your seed for sowing and multiply it and increase the harvest of your righteousness, your generosity. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You see the domino effect of generosity? It begins with God, His kindness and generosity in Christ. It begins then to move on in the domino effect to the Holy Spirit who pours grace out within us that then gives us the promises of all that God is willing to do as we practice generosity. And the ultimate effect the ultimate end of the domino effect of generosity is it brings thanksgiving to God. If there's one thing I hope you leave with today, it's this. When it comes to tithing, it's not a matter of duty, it's a matter of beauty. As you reflect on the beauty of God's heart toward you in Christ and the generosity of Jesus, who though rich became poor, may it inspire a legacy of generosity. Folks, it is not things, it is not stuff that makes life beautiful or fulfilling or secure. What makes life beautiful and fulfilling and secure is having a heart after God's own heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We do pray that you would do a work of grace in us. Lord, we confess uh, this arena is probably the chief idol of most of our lives. And Lord, when I say that, I mean it's part of the chief fear, chief concern. Lord, I know it's the number one reason marriages break up, finances. Lord, it's probably the number one reason the bride at times breaks up with you. And so, Lord, would we have the grace to see you stop the negative chain reaction and might you start a new domino chain in all of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stay and hear the benediction. Again, reminder, next week uh, you'll be receiving, if you haven't already, your intention cards. There'll also be some here as well. And we love people to turn those in so that we can decide maybe who the next Juan is that we hire or what areas of ministry God wants us to be engaged in. Receive the benediction. All the promises I just read to you about God's provision and so much more. And now may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace in such a way that it changes your lives forever. Amen.